It's time to explore the unexplained, to delve into the mysteries of our world and the realms beyond, to seek out the answers to phenomena that defy conventional explanation. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G, where that journey begins. And good evening, everyone. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Chuck is off tonight, uh, but you get me, Karen Frazier, and sitting in, riding shotgun, our latest go-to uh, guest co-host, Patrick Keller of the Dead, the Big Sands Podcast. I almost said the Dead Sands Podcast. <laughs> the Dead Sands Podcast. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love filling in, and I appreciate being invited because this is like a fun paranerd party. It is a big paranerd party. I know. So okay. tonight, in a little while, our guest is going to be Brennan Store. He's the author of A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. And Brennan is my neighbor to the north, so I'm super excited to talk to him. Cool. Yes. Yeah, he I'm, lives here on the West Coast, but he's in Canada. I'm excited saying? because I feel like this is, uh, you know, I've been on the show several times, and um, this one I feel like is right up my Paranerd, you know, this alley. Is, this is in your wheelhouse. Yeah. It's my Sweet. sandbox. I don't know. That maybe, <laughs> maybe that's dorky. But. Oh, very good. All Sorry. right. So you want to know what happened to me this last weekend? What happened to you this last weekend? Stepped on a snake. Oh, I saw that on Facebook. But yep. it you had a life changing experience due to this snake. I did, did not? not die. so that is somewhat life-changing right i didn't die and so it made me realize that maybe if i can step on a snake and not die that perhaps some of the things that i'm afraid of like weird al Mm -hmm. might not be as horrible as i think they are but what was this about you said that you may or may not have had weird al eyes when you stepped on the snake well you know how he kind of has the crazy eyes a little bit Mm -hmm. weird al Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I probably had the crazy eyes. So that's a little meta. You're afraid of <laughs> afraid of Weird Al and snakes. But... <laughs> and you had the Weird Al eyes when you stepped on when the I snake. I stepped on the snake. Yes. And um, we were up camping, which let me tell you, I do not camp. Um, but we did. We camped out at Wellington, which is, you know, the subject of two of my books, Good Haunted Location up in the mountains here. And um, I slept on the ground. I went into the outhouse and after dark and didn't look to see if there were bats coming out of the toilet. So I really, I, I did pretty well. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I think I'm growing as a human being. Wow. I know. I, I still have issues with spiders and snakes. Spiders yeah. and snakes. Are you? Um, so you're afraid? Yeah, I'm afraid of snakes. So you're afraid of spiders too. So what do you do if there's a spider in the house? Um. Well. I uh, get a shoe or the <laughs> mail or, you know, whatever. whatever and I will tell yeah, I will tell you that um, since I've, you know, become, you know, I've become vegetarian in the last year or two. And as I've kind of grown, I don't know, spiritually, that sounds dorky to say, but um, I even spiders, I'm killing spiders less and less. Thank you very yes, much. I put them, I try to Even save though them they give me nightmares. Outside. 
Yeah, I try to save them and put them outside, but I am not afraid of spiders. Although every once in a while, there will be... We have the wolf spiders out here. Do you have those? Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, those things are yeah. huge, and they're super fast, and they can jump. We have pretty, yeah. ridiculous spiders that hang from all of our trees. And, you oh. know, we have a puppy dog here that we have to go walk around the house like four times yeah. a day. And I... <laughs> The flashlight out constantly <laughs> on all the trees. And I swear we have one giant Charlotte's Web spider that migrates from tree to tree every night. Like, like I, some pig in the in the web? Oh, yeah. It'll be in a different tree every night. And I'm just nice. like, why do you torment me? Why can't you just stay in one tree? Do you have poisonous spiders? I'm sure we do. We have, uh, is it the, the black? Black Widow or Black Widows. Sometimes yeah. maybe no, we we have a lot of is brown recluse. We have those too. That's yeah. What we have here. They ha they hang out in like wood piles and stuff. But that's the only one that I ever really hear about that's Yeah, us too. But the wolf spiders are they the wolf spiders look horrifying. Um and like I say they run really fast and they can jump really and far. I, they can talk too and that <laughs> <laughs> what do they say? Like, Patrick, I'm going to eat you. I mean, <laughs> you know what? They're probably vegetarian too. That'd be fine. Well, we, well, we have something in common then. Maybe the next time I run into one, we can chat about our similarities. They can put you out of the house to make sure that they don't harm you. There we go. Mm -hmm. See? Very good. Yes. All right. So, Cheryl, do you guys have poisonous spiders in Tennessee? I don't know. I'm sure that we do. Um, in California, we had about the same, we had the black widow and the brown recluse. Those are the ones that I know of. But Chad, do we have any poisonous spiders here? Oh, he's shaking his head. Yes. I probably yeah. don't want to know the answer <laughs> at this point. So uh, let's just go with yes. Yeah, we're lucky because in Western Washington, we don't have poisonous snakes. Oh, wow. There are in Eastern Washington, but not in Western Washington. So we don't have poisonous snakes. We only have the brown recluse spiders that are poisonous. So we really, we don't have anything like scorpions or anything like that. We just have lots of bats. Ugh. Lots of bats. They have snakes here in Tennessee, poisonous snakes. But, you know, of course we did in California. Like copperheads or something. They, yeah, like copperheads, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We've, had a, we've had a rattlesnake in our backyard. I, I have never seen, yeah, I have, I have, we don't have them here. I've never seen anything like that on this side of the mountains. But when I was in college, I went to Eastern Washington University, which is over on the eastern side of the state where they do have the rattlesnakes. And I would run at night. And um, the university that I went to was seriously like a college plot down in the middle of a wheat field. I kid you not. <laughs> and I would go running and the snakes would come out of the wheat field at night and they would lay down on the road. And of course, that's when I would be running. So I would see them and I would always give them really wide berth. <laughs> <laughs> that is what I would always do. I used to walk a lot late at night around all my neighborhoods and um, uh, raccoons. For some reason, in the daytime, they look really cute. <laughs> All of a sudden, at night, when you see they a have raccoon, little glowing eyes. And there used to be in uh, two neighborhoods ago, there used to be this raccoon that would come out of you know the sewer drain and would challenge me in the <laughs> middle of the street. Would wow. come out of the drain and just look at me and like, "Don't you dare come this way!" And I'd say. Okay, all right, peace out. Mm -hmm. And I would turn, I would be 
pressured into completely changing my walk about every other night, and I always felt so stupid that I let a raccoon um, completely change my route. <laughs> I was a house sitting once when I was like 18 or 19 for some friends, and I was laying out in the sun, and I heard like this noise around me, right? And I opened my eyes and I looked up and it was a mother raccoon and their babies. And they were like standing around the chair staring at me. I think somebody probably had been feeding them or something. So, (laughs) yeah. But up at Wellington this weekend, we saw kitty cat prints. And I don't mean, you know, house kitty cat prints. We saw what looked like cougar (laughs) prints. We saw bear prints. So lots of animal activity up there. It's pretty exciting. And of course, ghosts. So you want to know something, though, that really is is cool. So we've talked about my experiences at Wellington. Anybody who listens to the show has heard, right? And um, so we were um, talking and doing an EVP session. And Jim, my husband, asked, is there anybody in this group who was here at the time of the train accident that was that was, um, you know, probably reincarnated now? And one of the guys on his recorder got the name Karen. Mm. Right? That is, that's cool. I know. And uh, were there other, did you have anything else like to, to validate? Like, did you have other equipment or meters or anything going on? No, because we weren't actually really trying to I- investigate. Um, you know, we were just up there camping and having a good time. I did all of my investigating of that place a couple years ago, and now yeah. I just go up to be there. You know how you kind of feel like some places are sort of not played out, but that you ha- you know everything you need to know about it as far as the activity and things? Right. I forgot you were yeah. camping. Yeah. So, yes, we were camping. This was this was before um, before we had to sleep out all night on the ground or, you know, sleep, I say with air quotes. So no one was doing like an EVP session in the outhouse or. No, but you know, I, I know people have gotten EVPs in the outhouse before. Here's what I've decided. So you know how people just walk around with their recorders going all the time when they investigate, right? (laughs) I know people who have gotten the EVPs when they've been going to the bathroom. And so I'm so, (laughs) and and you can't share those with people, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So, so I have, I will not take a recorder into the bathroom with me now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I would never, ever, anyway, no, maybe sit it outside. Yeah. But, um, well, when I was when I was doing um, the show mystery at the museum, I was I had the lav mic pack on, and um, I forgot while we were filming that I had that mic pack on, and I went to the bathroom and I was like, oh, <sighs> so <laughs> sound guy got a treat there. I remember growing up being in church, and the pastor left his mic on and went to potty or something, and uh, and uh, everybody like, oh my. It can happen. You know, you forget you have those things on. People always say, well, if I was on a reality TV show, I would be conscious of the camera every second and the mics and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? No, you forget that they're on you. When we were doing the documentary, I would forget I was mic'd up. You just forget. So, yeah. So we have um, exciting stuff coming up in September. We've been talking a little bit about it. But because Chuck's not here to do the night and the news tonight... We're actually going to test drive one of our exciting little features. And um, so we have news from our correspondents tonight, Crystal Vermis and Manny Vega. Cheryl, are you ready to play their news? Yeah, yeah. This is about a 10-minute news segment that they sent us in. And okay. um, yeah, we're ready to go. 
All right. So here Word. we go with uh, Crystal and Manny. Roll it. I'm Crystal Vermis. And I'm Manny Vega. From Salem, Massachusetts, we are your Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark Correspondents. We are also the hosts of the All Day Paranormal Podcast and All Day Paranormal After Dark, the YouTube show. Find out more about us at GetSpooked.net. Let's get into some paranormal news. As the story goes, police in Lanarkshire are investigating reports of an apparent poltergeist ghost which is believed to have been haunting a house. Experienced police officers were called to a property on Stonelaw Road on August 8th after a mother and her teenage son endured two days of paranormal activity in their home. After the officers arrived at the scene, they witnessed bizarre occurrences from clothes flying across the room, lights going on and off, oven doors opening and closing, and lampshades mysteriously turned upside down. The mother and son's pet chihuahua, too, was involved in the haunting. Teardrops are falling Poor down guy. my face right now. No. Teardrops are just streaming. Uh, it ended... <laughs> It ended up on the top of a seven-foot hedge while playing in the garden. Oh, my God. Yes. The, the family, who have now moved out of the property, uh, contacted the police to report disturbing incidents in their home at the start of last week. The woman and her teenage son experienced violent and unexplained circumstances, and as a result are extremely distressed. A police officer said... Uh, officers with more than 20 years of service are saying they've never seen anything like this. It's really something that down-to-the-earth police officers are having trouble getting their heads around it. So the woman and the son apparently are uh, Catholics. They've contacted a church uh, priest to help them. Uh, Obviously, the officers who attended the scene thought it was mental health issues at first, but... It wasn't, so... Well, once a chihuahua starts flying, you gotta, that's, you gotta start questioning your own mental health. Um, social workers and doctors, though, are working with the family to actually provide support to them because they're, they've been, like, Traumatized. traumatized. Jeez, I hope... I don't see anything else here in the story about the poor chihuahua. I hope he's fine. What happened to the Did chihuahua? Did someone take him down from the seven-feet te- hedge? I mean, like, <laughs> He's still up there. What a traumatic experience for yeah. that poor little chihuahua. I'm not even worried about the people. Yeah, well... I'm a little worried, but more worried about the dog now because they yeah. didn't say what happened to him. Well, I mean, you know, obviously it sounds like a scary situation. Poltergeist situation. It's always interesting when they have, uh, you know, the cops witness the stuff themselves because obviously you're more inclined to believe a police officer. They've got nothing to gain necessarily by lying about a story like that. I, and on, honestly, the, the first thing I thought of was the case in uh, the Demon House where there were like 400 pages of police reports documenting all sorts of in crazy... In Indiana, yeah. The, one the in, woman and her three or four kids, I think. Yeah, four kids, yeah. something like that. Uh, it was a famous house that Zach Bagans later bought. Uh, and was filming a documentary for uh, the Demon House uh, documentary. Yeah, so I, I instantly thought of that. Well, that was a case where uh, paranormal activity could be corroborated by authorities. And so, obviously, yeah, it's kind of hard to argue if, if they saw this dog floating around or whatever the heck it was or ending yeah, up on hedges. I mean, like, and lampshades turning upside down. Yeah. And and there's only two of them, you know? Yeah. Unless you know, I mean, like, the only thing I can think of is, like, Maybe you know a friend who has the key to your house, and he's yeah. a prankster. Yeah. You know, but I think it's important to note that they said that the son is a teenager. That is supposedly when poltergeist activity is kicked up because right. the hormones and whatnot are raging in teenagers. I was gonna say it's not even necessarily an entity. It's it's more just that there's a poltergeist. Like there, it could be yeah. Poltergeist. Their, their emotional the, energy. The story also didn't say though whether the 
energy or whatever it was followed them. So that, I'd be interested in finding that out. So. But if they are getting counseling and if they are getting treatment in that way, then technically that should help uh, uh, cure whatever's feeding this poltergeist. Right. And so that in itself may make sure everything goes away. I mean, that, yeah. that can be the biggest the biggest key to everything. So what do you have? Do you have a ghost story? I have. I also have an animal story. Oh, we should have themed it. Well, it's, it's less Is it to about do, a chi? No. Okay. It's to do with a mythical animal. So this takes place in Loveland, Ohio, where apparently there's a legendary creature known as the Loveland Frogman. So the Loveland Frogman has been passed on for generations, evidently, I guess since the 50s. Uh, people have talked about seeing this Frogman creature, apparently at least four feet tall, um, giant, weird-ass frog. Why is this any weirder than reptilians, though? You know? Because I mean, it's just like... Wouldn't it be reptilian in its own way? Yeah. They're all reptiles. So it's not any weirder. I don't know. I don't know if it's Or right. scarier, you know? In any case, this is the local news, Fox 19. Wait, okay, so someone saw it. Yeah, covering the situation. <laughs> There's actually a video. It's a short video. I'm going to show it what? to you. Uh, it's about 12 seconds long, and I'll, I'll give you the story behind it. Okay, once keep, you're keep, finished, keep. Once you're finished watching it. But what do you, what do you see in that video? Uh, oh, my God. Okay, so I'm watching this video. It's pitch black. Pitch black, but I can tell that it's the camera's pointed in um, the angle. Okay, that was it. Oh wow! Okay, so it was pointed toward a lake because you can see lights uh, reflecting off of the river. Oh god, I'm I'm gonna laugh because Manny just showed me a still. That's a still image. (laughs) A little more brightened up. Looks like the little android green robot. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, but all I saw in the video were two bright lights that could be perceived as eyes really bright and then and it was reflecting off the ripples of the water yeah. that was what i saw in the video this image which is supposedly a still yeah. i guess still from, from the, the video, video yeah. um looks like the android bot <laughs> the eyes are so What's bright its name the droid bot the I little know, green i think it has a name <laughs> stupid <laughs> okay this is going well <laughs> well you can just photoshop two lights on it and then well, it looks like it has it's the android bot with but the video you don't believe two the video? eyes no i don't think that photo is from the same video it's from the same video so still yeah no it is it is from the same okay, video well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now i don't know no i don't believe it what is the frogman what the hell is the frog what is okay. he supposed to be? let me give you the story okay so Wait, I, I thought that was the story. I didn't even tell you the actual story yet. I just showed you a picture of a frog and you went crazy. I just shit all over Yeah, you completely just shit on it. All right. Sam Jacobs says he and his girlfriend were playing Pokemon Go, of course, uh, between Loveland Madeira Road and Lake Isabella when they spotted the purported frogman. Wait, right. what time of day was this? This is at night. Like they were trying to get gasolies. And- it was Wednesday night. Yeah, they were trying to get gasolies or something. Yeah. So that was his I video. I caught a gasoly earlier today, though, and it was daytime. Okay, was there a frogman I've caught most of my gasolies in the daytime. Okay. In case you guys are wondering. Great story. <laughs> Thanks for that. I'm level 22, by the way. Yeah, good for you. All right. Manny's like two. No, I'm not. I'm 19. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so he took that video. That was his video. Sam Jacobs on his phone. Okay. Residents in and, in and around the community have been talking about the frogman for decades. In fact, it has quite the cult following. There are some discrepancies on when the elusive four-foot-tall, frog-like creature was first spotted. The legend dates back to 1955, when it was seen Uh. swimming in the Little Miami River. Others say it was a Loveland police officer who who first saw the leathery-skinned being in 1972. Legend has it that the officer nearly hit the creature with his car. When the officer stopped, the gigantic frog stood in the middle of the road, got on its hind legs, crawled over a guardrail, (laughs) and into the river. As for Wednesday night's sighting, Jacob said, we saw a huge frog near the water. Not in the game. This was an actual frog. I took a couple pictures. But that's part of what he said. That's what was part of his book. Oh, my God. I took a couple of pictures (laughs) and a video because I'd never seen one that big. 
Then the thing stood up and walked on its hind legs. That's so cool. Is that crazy? No, it reminds me of Frog and Toad together forever. Like, <laughs> Frog and I, is this supposed to be scary? Yes. Okay, keep going. People, and that's, that's, I mean, Jacobs went on to say he realizes some people will think he's crazy. He says, "I swear on my grandmother's grave that this is the truth." I'm not You're sure. Throwing grandma under the bus, right there. <laughs> I'm not sure whether it was a frogman or just a giant frog. Either way, I've seen. I've never seen anything like it. Okay, I need to, like, read up on Frogman, though, for real. There's just a massive crazy frog. I mean, Micah Hanks also covers it in a a piece for MysteriousUniverse.org, talking about those two stories, 1955 and in 1972 when they were first spotted. But, yeah, I mean, it's just this massive creature that can walk on its hind legs. Okay, so, first of all, all right, since it's your story, let's go with you first. What do you think? Yes or no? Real real or fake? I think it's a real big-ass frog. I don't know if it's Frogman, but what the hell's... It can't be a... No, no, no. You can't say that. It can't be a real frog, because real frogs wouldn't walk... Yeah, because a frog wouldn't get up and walk away. Right. I'm going to trust this kid's story. I'm going to say he really did see this frogman. I don't think he faked it. I don't, I don't think, think he, it. And I don't even think the footage is faked. It's too shitty. So, I, fro- yes, frogman? Yes. <laughs> sure. Why the hell not? Okay. I'm going right. to say yes, frog. What about right. you? Yes. You think because so? Because this is my idea. I am a believer. You don't, you know, each to his own here, of course. Yeah. Uh, I believe that there are different universes or uh, dimensions. I do think that there are dimensions, you know, say where ghosts live. Then there are dimensions where elves and fairies live then there's our dimension right. the boring place and then sure what if there's a dimension where frogman lives and here's the thing you know a lot of people not just me theorize that there's blending of dimensions all the time that's why you right. you know you might not be psychic but you might see a ghost if you go to a haunted house just you know so that's my theory i think it was a blip a blip in the universe there was a blending of dimensions and i don't always subscribe to this notion but for a lot of things i i do like to it makes sense to me personally i think i think that's a sensible so. explanation i think there's the other thing too is though you, you can i think buy into these cryptid stories without necessarily even believing in other dimensions or the paranormal it could be a totally natural explanation that this is a weird ass frog that we don't even know exists i mean that would be a kind of a huge evolutionary step for a frog to be standing i'm pretty sure that's like where we came from billions of years ago but Still, the point being that... Yeah, I guess if you wanted to take that route. I mean, could, there's could, so many different routes you could take with We've it. talked about that. Could Bigfoot be some un, unidentified creature that actually exists that we don't even yeah. know about out yeah. in the woods somewhere? Uh, could, could Frogman be some evolution of a frog that probably has existed for 50 years that no one knew about? Who's to say? But the other option is, yes, your, your interdimensional theory, which um, is a pretty popular one as well. Hey everybody, welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Karen Frazier here with Patrick Keller, who's sitting in for Chuck Gotsky. Um, so, you know, Patrick does a great podcast. Um, oh my God, the Big Seance Podcast. They keep wanting to call it the Dead Seance Podcast. So, Cheryl, you have any podcasts you like? Yeah, actually, I wanted to tell you guys about a podcast that I checked out last week called Moderately Funny. You can find it at moderatelyfunnypodcast.com. And I'll tell you, if you like to laugh, I think you'll find the show very funny. The podcast hosts are Jessica and Michael, and they basically take hypothetical, interesting questions, and then they put their own spit on them. And so let's just say their conversation ends up being very interesting and humorous and uh, for instance one of the podcasts i just listened to uh, jessica and michael were discussing being stranded with people you don't like and what's that like i think uh, maybe some of us have been in that awkward situation i would say it's awkward yeah it sounds awkward um being caught with your pants down now i've never actually had that happen like literally literally <laughs> down or like you're talking about somebody and they're standing behind you that way uh, like both. metaphorically I yeah okay both. and 
I, it's something that I think our listeners would enjoy. So again, go ahead and check that out at moderatelyfunnypodcast.com. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Tell them Paranormal Underground Radio sent you over there. All right. Sounds like a lot of fun. I'll have to check that one out myself. You know, I like anything that's kind of funny. I thought you would like it. <laughs> yes, I, I definitely do. Does it sound like your kind? Does it sound like your kind of podcaster, Mister Professional Podcaster? Oh my gosh, I'm such a nerdy podcaster, and I'm always <laughs> promoting podcasts yeah. and looking yeah. for them. And so that sound anything that's funny like that, and I have a variety of podcasts I listen to. It's not all like paranormal stuff. So yeah, it's going into the queue. Then you think? I think so. All right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a break. Um, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Brendan. Oh, shoot. I don't have his name up. I'm it, sorry. Brendan Store. Brendan Store. Brendan Store. Mm-hmm. Brendan Store. And uh, we're going to be talking about a haunting in a small town. And I'm hoping he's talking about Victoria, B.C. because I've been there. So stick around. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. We'll be right back. Hey, great T-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool t-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of hauntedshirtclub.com. I get a great t-shirt from a different haunted place every month, along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. Hauntedshirtclub.com, right? Yep, that's it. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. My name is Daryl E. Berry Jr., longtime practitioner, researcher, and explorer of things metaphysical, mystical, and cutting edge, and founder and director of Next Density, a research education and development effort for personal and thus global progress, transformation, and development. My current and upcoming books include Travel Far, Classes on A Course in Miracles, and Next Density. For my books and other writings, videos, interviews, public talks, and workshops, and to schedule for consultations, classes, and courses, visit DarylEBerryJr.com or NextDensity.org. Next Density. Change yourself. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's author, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Frazier, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. 
Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. It's me, Karen Frazier, and sitting in for our usual co-host is one of our favorite guest co-hosts, Patrick Keller of the Big Sands Podcast. Hey, Patrick. Yo. Yo. So you're excited about this guest because it's in your Paranerd wheelhouse, you say. Yeah, my Paranerd sandbox. That's just, right. I'm going to start saying that. Okay, so we have our guest on the line. Um We're talking tonight to Brennan Storr. He's the author of A Strange Little Place, The Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. He's a researcher with a lifelong interest in the paranormal. Brennan's also written articles for several publications, including The Diversity Reporter, What's Up, Victoria, and Revelstoke Current. He currently works in a haunted office building in Victoria, Canada. And let me tell you, there's some haunted stuff up in Victoria. I know, been there. And which is the most haunted city on the Western Canadian coast. Uh, he's a former atheist turned believer, Brennan, me too. And he's been subject to an accidental exorcism, not me, and had encounters with shadow people. He's also an avid night photographer. And you can find him online at largelythetruth.com. Well, uh, welcome, Brennan, to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Hi there. How you doing? Very good. So I'm excited that you live in Victoria, um, and I haven't been there in years, but what a lovely city. I did not realize it was the most haunted town or city in on the west coast of Canada. Well, that's what the tourism board claims. I will say that they are... They have in their favor the fact that it is one of the only cities on the Western Canadian coast. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, Vancouver's it, not as haunted as what you're saying? <laughs> uh, also, we're further out on the coast, so technically... You are. You're on Vancouver Island. We've got that on them. Yep. Yep, I know. So, I used to take the ferry up to Victoria. It's a beautiful... Vancouver Island is lovely. Just lovely. It really is. I, I moved here from my hometown of Revelstoke, when, in which uh, Strange Little Place is set, about nine years ago. And I, I've certainly not uh, not looked back. Revelstoke's a lovely place, but very small. And I was in my early 20s, and I thought it's time to time to upgrade. Very good. Well, I, you're, you're living in a lovely city. Although, I have to ask you, because Victoria is also a big tourism city, do the tourists ever drive you nuts? Always. they are 100% necessary to the economy and they are 100% a pain in the butt we we live on one of the walking routes from a crew from the cruise ship terminal so it's Mm. uh it's a it's a constant thing yes lovely people but but lots of them is the tourism of the we like to go for the haunted stuff variety or is that just kind of wrapped up in the history part uh, I believe that's part of it. I, I know there are uh, a couple walking tours of the city center which focus on the, the hauntings. Um, mm. We've only done one of the companies, but th- they're a lot of fun. And I know they're popular, so uh, certainly that's part of it. I think I think the gardens are the big attraction. The gardens and the uh, the very, very walkable sort of village-like downtown, which is probably much yes. the way you remember it. Uh, probably. And I, the gardens, the Bouchard gardens were beautiful. We used to, I remember those and the uh, place that I remember being haunted in Victoria. So there are two, and I don't even know if one of them's there anymore. Um, but one of them is the Empress hotel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm sure that's still there. Right. And that oh, yeah. that's haunted. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the other one was, um, and I can't even remember what it's called, but it was, uh, based on, uh, the Shakespeare's wife's cottage. So, mm. yeah, I don't, I can't, it's been too many years. I was a, you know, as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Fair 
Fair enough. Well, there are a lot of haunted buildings here. And I, I know, uh, as it says in my bio, I work in a haunted office building. And, and believe me, this this is much to my chagrin. Uh, you know, I, I always like to joke that if there is such a thing as a reluctant paranormal investigator, I am that. Because you. If, if I could skate through my days without having to worry about shadow things and, and haunted other things, I'd be very content. But it seems like wherever I end up, there they are. And, and this building, actually, I'm calling hmm. from, from my office, is... Uh, in Bastion Square, which is a famously haunted part of town. There were once upon a time public executions there, and I believe there may have actually have been a burial ground there at one point. Wow. Okay. Carries through. Well, I think it's interesting, uh, other than sharing a coast and, you know, not living too terribly far apart. I'm in southwestern Washington now, so I'm a little further down than I used to be. Um, But uh, we also have in common that I was also an atheist turned, uh, you know, <laughs> paranormal believer. So tell us about that transition. Well, it started really for me as, uh, it started with the book because prior to writing the book, I, I had a couple strange things and maybe a few more than I remembered once I, or as I discovered once I started writing the book, but really the, the dam broke when I decided to write a strange little place. And the impetus for that was just I thought I, I've got all these uh, ghost stories my family used to tell around the dinner table. I thought I'd compile them all into one place for a sort of a family history project, and it it just grew out of that. But once I started doing that, I started having experiences. And shortly after I began is when I saw a shadow person. And uh, at the time, I was so new I, I knew nothing about the paranormal. I, I actually had to look up what the heck a shadow person was. I I, I just put person shaped like a shadow in, into Google, and and I was educated, but. Uh, I would say that's really what began it was looking into these things, uh, researching Revelstoke and just opening my mind to the possibility of something beyond the the visible physical world. Because prior to that, I'd been, uh, I like to say, sort of an atheist. My my grandmother had tried to raise me Catholic and bless her, she didn't do a very good job of it. So I Yeah, it didn't through, take, I understand. Didn't take, like <laughs> seeds in the dust bowl, it just blew away. Got it. <laughs> But, well, uh, yeah. Oh, sorry, go. Oh, no, that's okay. You, you can finish your thought. Oh, no, that, that was it. Well, I was just going to say that it sounds to me like, um, you know, I can relate to that because I, if I understand you correctly, I didn't have a ton of experiences or uh, really an interest much at all. I was never an atheist, but I didn't have any paranormal experiences growing up and was kind of pulled into it uh, later in life, you know, like 10 years ago. And, um but I was curious because you've mentioned I, I was reading up before the show and I read about the shadow people um, that you'd experienced. And I am curious to know, like, if it because uh, that's always been kind of a weird thing for me. I'm not sure if I if I like to categorize shadow person and like does shadow person, like you said earlier, does it mean a spirit who just happens to be um you know, pulling together as a shadow, or do you think there's any negative, is there always negative, you know, energy with the shadow person? Do you like to categorize those things? I, I like to say that I, I have a working theory. And of course, I mean, ultimately we all know nothing about what's really happening. And I think it's, right. I think it's fundamentally unknowable, but right. I have a working theory that there are things which were once people, spirits, you know, of, of people, maybe things that were once animals, And then I think there are things that were never either of those things. I think there are, maybe call them elementals or earth spirits, but they, 
they they were never people, and so they don't conform to our our expectations. And I, and I think they are really far more complex than we can wrap our wrap our heads around. And I, and I sometimes wonder if shadow people are these things because they seem to have a very particular aim. They they seem to uh, most of the cases I've heard about and have been reported to me are not particularly positive. Certainly, my experiences were strongly negative. And so I, I tend to think that they are this class of spirit, this class of thing which never was human. There's a house not far from a place I used to live, which I believe is home to these things. And it sounds kooky, as, as a lot of this stuff does, but I think that if there can be such a place as a thin spot between one world and another, this place is That's one it, of those huh? things. Mm. And these shadows, they drift through there. And well, I've, it's interesting I've seen them that and you... they Go ahead. No, no, no. I was saying they come in all shapes and sizes. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because I share your theory and I've said even on this show many times that I, I actually believe that that's a category too. It's it's spirits that were never human. They're very complex. They don't understand us. We don't understand them. So we interpret them as dark and evil when really it's probably a lack of understanding. So that's that's my experience. But I would I would really like to hear about your accidental exorcism because I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> well, okay. So the it, it really begins with my first shadow person sighting. And okay. So my first shadow person sighting was April 2012. I had just come back from my first research trip to Revelstoke, and I was telling the woman who li- used to work in our office about the various things I'd heard. And as we spoke, we were the only two people in the office that day. As we spoke, from behind her, I saw this all-black head peek out of a coat rack in an office in the distance and hold for just a moment and then go back. And I tell you, I I freaked out inside. I I managed to to keep calm on the surface, but I really had no idea what the heck I'd just seen. And I felt the color drain out of the day, and I thought, nope. No, I'm just going to pretend like I hadn't seen anything and keep going on. And that worked until two weeks later when I believe it was in early May. I was lying in bed. My wife goes to work earlier than I do. And I saw from, uh, from the corner of my eye, it looked like someone was standing next to me. And the way our beds are situated, no one can actually stand on, on the immediate left because there are night tables. So I turned to look and... I saw a shadow in the shape of a person. And before I could react, before I could say anything, this thing fell across me in the bed. Oh. And I felt electricity shooting throughout my body. And, and it sounds ludicrous, but I, I fell asleep. And about 30 minutes later, I woke back up and I thought, well, that, that was strange, but that must have been a dream. However, that marked the beginning of the blackest depression I've experienced uh, since my high school days, before I started uh, taking care, be- taking better care of myself. And it, it lasted for probably the better part of two weeks until I, I actually provoked an argument with my wife, which I, I never do. I'm not an argumentative person, typically. But for whatever reason, I was just mean, mean, mean. And once that happened, it was like purging something. I just felt normal again. And hmm. so I, I, I didn't make the connection until months later, uh, but that was the end of it until May of the following year, May 2013, when I was, uh, I was in Vancouver for a series of concerts. I believe it was three concerts over four days. So on the night off on the Sunday, 
I decided to go read my book at a nearby coffee shop. It was about six o'clock at night. So I stepped out of the, the rented house where I was staying and I, uh, I heard immediately a voice say, hello. And I, I turned to look and I saw this, uh, short little Indian man, uh, first nations man. He was maybe about five feet tall, elderly, wearing a jogging suit and over one shoulder, he had a faded gray duffel bag. And in his right hand, he had a wooden walking stick with orange electrical tape wound around the bottom. So he said to me, uh, I said, hello. And he said, how are you? And I said, I'm well, thank you. How are you? And he said, well, I, I could use a coffee as I go about my travels, but generally I'm fine. And I said, well, tell you what, I'm, I'm headed that way anyways. Come with me, I'll buy you a coffee. So we, we started to walk and I introduced myself and he introduced himself. And he said, would you like to know my spirit name? And I said, sure. And he, he, so he told me. And he said, would you like to know yours? I said, sure. And he said, all right, well, I'll see if you have one. Not everyone does, but when we get to the coffee shop and we get settled, I'll ask. So I thought, okay, that sounds good. Now, I've bought coffee for homeless guys before. Typically, it follows a pattern. You buy them a coffee, then they ask for something sweet. And if you give into that, maybe then they ask for a pack of smoke. So I was expecting this to, to follow that, that pattern. But we got to the coffee shop and he said to me, I'll have whatever you're having. I'll go get us a seat. And I thought, well, this is interesting. So we, we got the coffees and I sat down. Now I'd like to bear in mind, I'd like you to bear in mind that the rest of this story takes place in a front of a very busy Starbucks on a very busy city street uh, in uh, at about six o'clock six between six and seven p.m. on a Sunday night. So this is this is not at all happening in isolation. Mm-hmm. So we sat, and uh, he he told me my spirit name, which uh, you know I, I I I tend not to repeat, but uh, you know he he, he said I, I do have one, and then we just talked about other things. He told me he was a shaman. He told me that he had been a shaman since he was 16. He was in his late 60s now. Uh, he, he admitted to me that he was an alcoholic, which, of course, explained this particular neurological twitch he had. Whenever, every few minutes, his face would scrunch up and he would make the, the worst noise. So, anyhow, we, we talked a little bit more. And finally, I, I really started to feel like, you know what? This guy, he's on the level. I think he knows what he's talking about. So, I decided to ask him about these, these encounters I'd had. And, and I told him the story I've told you. And he mm-hmm. looked at me and he said, well, he said, I don't know why you're having these dreams, but I can ask. And I said, well, they weren't dreams exactly. And he stopped me, he put his hand up and he said, we better call them dreams. It's just better that way. So I said, okay. So he leans back in his chair and he reaches into his duffel bag, pulls out a translucent purple plastic recorder. He blows the same note on it about 15 times. This is the sort of instrument they teach young kids to use prior, prior to going into band. Mm-hmm. And after blowing that same note, he looked around and he shook his head and he put the recorder back. And then he pulled out a maraca and I remember it was uh, purple plastic with Olmeca tequila on the side and faded red lettering. And I remember thinking, man, if this was a, a shaman that I found through, you know, traditional means, that thing would be hand carved and would have cost a fortune. But uh, instead, this is just something he obviously pulled out of the garbage or, you know, found. But he shook it a few times and he, he hummed the sing-songy rhythm under his breath. 
And he looked around and I thought I heard him say something about a doctor. And then he stood up and walked off and I thought, oh, are, are we done? But a moment later he came back and he had something in his hand, something green and he shoved it in my mouth and he said, chew this and swallow it down. Now, at this point I felt I'd reached a, a pivotal juncture. At this point you either go, nope, we're done here and then go right. home or you chew the stuff and see what happens. So I thought, well, let's chew the stuff, see what happens. So I, I chewed the stuff and I, I swallowed and he looks at me and said, did you chew it all? I said, yep. He goes, okay. So he puts some of whatever it is in his own mouth, chews it, puts his hands on either side of my head and pulls me forward. And then he blows on the crown of my head. Now I thought he chewed this stuff up and spit it on me. So my first thought was, oh, gross. Right. But then he pulls my head a little bit forward again and goes again on the back of my neck. And then he pulls me forward just a little bit more and blows again all the way down my spine. And he sits me back up and he looks at me and he says, okay, it's done. Sits back down. And I said, well, what's done? And he says, just wait, you'll see. And over the next few minutes, the strangest feeling crept over me and I, it started in my hands and the feeling was like, like I was recommending things to my hands and they were moving, not as though I was directly controlling them. And I thought, this is, this is fascinating, but I felt it spread over my whole body, this otherness. And I started to panic and I, I, his name was Dennis. And I said, Dennis, I think you poisoned me. And he said, no, no, I didn't poison you. You'll be fine. Now internally, again, I'm panicking. I'm thinking, okay, so if I throw up some of the stuff, I bring it to the hospital, hospital's not far. I can probably show them what I've eaten and maybe they can help me. And it's, it was almost like he could hear me thinking because he said, calm down. It's going to be fine. So I, I told him, I said, I, I feel like I'm going to pass out that if I tried to stand up, I would just fall over. And he said, you won't stand up. So I stood up and I was solid. So I sat back down and over the course of a few more minutes, the feeling passed. And so Dennis looked at me and said, it, how do you feel? And I said, well, I, I think I feel fine. He said, perfect. He said, we're done. I'm going to go get a drink. And, uh, I said, well, what happened? And he said, well, you had the wrong spirit in you. So what I did was I removed it. And what you felt was the new spirit settling in. I said, oh, okay. What does that mean? And he said, well, what that means is your life is going to change. And for that, I'm sorry because I couldn't give you a choice that had, this had to be done. This had to happen. You couldn't be allowed to have that choice. It, it was just inevitable. So I'm sorry for that. It's not going to be bad, but your life is going to change. And how do you feel? And I said, well, so far I feel okay. And he said, then you're going to be just fine. And he grabbed his duffel bag and he grabbed his walking stick and he, he started to walk off. And I said, well, well, thank you. And he pointed at the coffee and he said, well, you gave me a gift. This is my gift to you. And then he left. And so I thought, well, this is, that was strange. And of course, at this point, it's about 7.30 on a busy Sunday on a busy street in front of a busy Starbucks. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go somewhere people aren't staring at me. So I grabbed my book and started walking back to my room. And I, I called my wife and I told her what happened. And she said, well, it did. if you feel okay and you feel okay about the whole thing, it sounds like a neat experience, just chalk it up to that. And I thought, yeah. I guess I'll do that. So about two hours later, I was, 
laying in bed reading, and I thought, I'm hungry. That must be it. That's why I was feeling so kooky. I'm hungry. So I'll go get a, go get a cheeseburger and a Coke, and uh, I'll feel much better about my place in the world. So I stepped outside of the house, and a car passed. Not close, not particularly fast, but it terrified me. I was absolutely terrified. And all of a sudden I realized I was overwhelmed by noise, by cars, by, by people, just by every, the, the, the noise of the city was unbearable. And I thought, well, I hope this isn't what's changed because I really like the city and this would, this would be, be a bummer if I suddenly didn't, but I got it under control and cross the street. But what I realized is everything looked very bright. It was though previously I'd been looking at the world through glass and someone had taken that glass out. The, the neon lights looked very bright and the cars just seemed more present. People seemed more there. And though I had managed to get a handle on things, when I looked up the street and saw this very tall Sandman Suites with the, the large neon sign at the top, the, the height of that neon sign, for whatever reason, panicked me. I, I, I've seen that hotel in many, many times. I've stayed there. But for whatever reason, on that night, seeing that thing so high in the sky seemed foreign and unnatural to me. And it just, just scared me. So I, I, I started to panic again, got it back under control. And I passed a bush, which smelled like the stuff he had put in my mouth. So I grabbed a little bit, or a tree rather. So I grabbed a little bit. Went to, went to have a burger, ordered my usual with a Coke. And the weird thing was, uh, once the food came and this sounds silly, but I didn't know what to do with it. I, I was looking at, you know, at a hamburger. I knew that I was looking at a Coke with ice. I knew that I'd eaten these things many times, but for whatever reason, I, I had a sense that I wasn't sure exactly what they were meant to, what they were meant for. And slowly, you know, I, I, I thought, well, this is stupid. Just eat it. So I picked a little bit off of the burger and I, and I ate it and I thought, okay, yeah, that's fine. And I had a little bit of the soda and I thought, okay, that's, that's fine. It's, it's sweet, but that's fine. And uh, eventually I settled in and, you know, I ate most, I about half the burger and had some of the soda and I felt, I felt better. But looking up the plant, what I realized is it was juniper. Mm. And I, doing a little further research, um, I realized I went through a very stripped down version of, of a Native American cleansing ceremony. Hmm. And so I, I, with that in my pocket, I, I walked back to my room, I went to bed and woke up the next morning, everything was totally fine. But every now and again, three years later, I'll go out at night and it's like the window's taken out and everything's very bright and very there. And that's hmm. my accidental exorcism. That is a fascinating story. Um, and with that, we're going to take a break. So stick around, guys. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR, and we will be back in a few minutes. Hi, this is Cheryl Knight, editor for Paranormal Underground Magazine. And I'm Chad Wilson, Paranormal Underground Magazine's publisher. Every month, Paranormal Underground Magazine explores the unexplained by examining topics that range from haunted sites to ufology to cryptozoology. We also spotlight investigators and researchers who continue to pave the way in a field that seeks to answer some of life's most complex questions. If you want to read about topics like psychic phenomena, demonology, conspiracy theories, crystals and herbology, and much, much more, visit ParanormalUnderground.net and start exploring the unexplained today. 
Hey everyone, if you can't get enough of Paranormal Underground, then I've got good news for you. We're on social media. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and I think even on MySpace, and nobody has a MySpace page anymore. So check out Paranormal Underground on your favorite social media site today. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier, co-host of Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Thanks for listening to the show. You've probably read my column in Paranormal Underground Magazine. I write columns about energy healing, metaphysics, and also dream interpretation. But did you know I also am an author of multiple books about metaphysics and the paranormal? You can learn more about the books that I've written on my website, authorkarenfraser.com. That's author, Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Fraser, F-R-A-Z-I-E-R.com. My name is Daryl E. Berry Jr., longtime practitioner, researcher, and explorer of things metaphysical, mystical, and cutting edge, and founder and director of Next Density, a research, education, and development effort for personal and thus global progress, transformation, and development. My current and upcoming books include Travel Far, Classes on A Course in Miracles, and Next Density. For my books and other writings, videos, interviews, public talks, and workshops, and to schedule for consultations, classes, and courses, visit DarylEBerryJr.com or NextDensity.org. Next Density. Change yourself. Hey, great t-shirt. I've heard of that place. It's really supposed to be haunted. You wear such cool t-shirts. You must have been, what, to every haunted spot in the country? Well, not really. I'm a member of HauntedShirtClub.com. I get a great t-shirt from a different haunted place every month, along with an info card with photos and stories and more. I can hardly wait to open it every month. Wow, I have to check that out. HauntedShirtClub.com, right? Yep, that's it. The traditional light bulb, a groundbreaking invention in 1879. It's time we switch to longer-lasting Energy Star light bulbs. They're more efficient than the old bulbs, like a text message is more efficient than a carrier pigeon. And they cut down on our energy costs. Because in our own groundbreaking age, we deserve a light bulb that saves us some cash. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. So, you're looking for the best in Paranormal Radio. Well, you just found it. Right here on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Join me, Chucky G, and my awesome co-host, Karen Frazier, for topics ranging from the metaphysical to the unexplained. That's right. Every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states on MixLR, we will delve into all things paranormal. And along the way, we'll, we hope to entertain you and have a few laughs as well. So join us on Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark, exploring the unexplained. Welcome back to Paranormal Underground Radio in the dark. Again, my name is Patrick Keller, and I'm filling in for Chucky G this evening, and we're here with Brennan Store. And I would just like to know, I guess maybe I'll try to stir some stuff up. I'd like to know if there are some, let's see, some pet peeves about the the paranormal. I don't know if you want to think about it as the paranormal culture, but just maybe paranormal investigation or um, I don't know. Is that is that too pot sturdy for you? <laughs> well, I, I suppose it, it depends on who you ask. I mean, uh, 
I, 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 as, as a newcomer to the genre, I should be careful where I, where I swing my axe. But then <laughs> I suppose that that presumes anyone is paying attention to what I say anyways. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say the only thing that I find really frustrating about, about the field is that, uh, everyone gets very set. I shouldn't say everyone, but there is a tendency I've noticed for people to get set into a way of thinking because, uh, for whatever reason, you know, it's, it, they've been, they've been learning about it for this long and they've assumed it works this way. Things like Sasquatch or, mm-hmm. or UFOs, everyone it's you know, they're very rigid, uh, schools of thought in some ways, which is amusing when you consider the subject matter. And, uh, so when you have things where situations where these things cross, you know, high strangeness crosses with Bigfoot or aliens cross with ghosts, uh, they, some people just tend to look away from that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, that I find that that's frustrating because I think if we're ever going to achieve any kind of, uh, insight on the subject and, and I, again, I don't know that we are, I, I, as I said earlier, I think the subject is meant to be fundamentally unknowable. I think it's a, it's a fun diversion, but I, I, I really suspect that if we had concrete proof of a life after this one, we'd have a whole lot more lazy people on our hands. So <laughs> I, I think there's always going to be an element of faith involved. Uh, but th- that said, I think if we're ever going to have any kind of insight, we, we've got to move past that that thinking that, uh, you know, UFO in this box and, and Sasquatch in this box. So certainly that's happening and, and it's been happening off and on for, for decades. You know, if you go back to the research done in the seventies by guys like John Keel, I mean, he's, he's looking at this, but it seems like we kind of go back and forth on that. Uh, that it's just, that, it, it's just so funny that, um, and I mean, I, I, there are things I resonate with and things I don't like, I, I don't necessarily not believe in like UFO and 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 life on other, you know, planets or whatever, but I just don't it's not as interesting to me. But then I also, you know, in the paranormal culture, uh, you know, ghost people will hear alien people talk and you know then giggle, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, the alien the, people the, will the hear, stories. you know, it's just so funny how it works. That's it. Well, We talk about it on this show, too. We actually like to link them all together. You'll be happy to hear you're on the right show for that. (laughs) (laughs) It's, uh, as I say, it's it's a fascinating subject. And uh, it's, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we, when we refuse to look at certain things because they, they annoy us in in how they contradict our theories. You know, I think that's just the, having, contradicting what we think we know is, is sort of the nature of learning. And so. It's kind of frustrating that, and I'm not much for the whole run around in the dark with a night vision camera. I, I, I know it's popular, but man alive, it drives me crazy. <laughs> it, they're, they, if they're ghosts, they can think, and it's not an amusement park. You yes. can challenge yeah. it to as many fights as you want, but if this is just a person on another plane, they're going to think, well, I'm going to wait till the camera's gone because I'm not stupid. This is, this isn't the dinner show. I don't go on at two and five. I, I'm just going to wait here quietly in the corner snickering at you till you leave. So I, I, that's my that's my other beef, but I'm going to shut up before I alienate anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. I'm not a, but I'm not a huge investigator. I leave that to other people. I explore it in different ways. So, all right. So, uh, shall we talk about Revelstoke a little bit since it's a subject of your book? That sounds great to me. All right. So you grew up in Revelstoke, yes? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I moved away at the tender age of 24. All right. So what, what goes on there? Why is this, what makes the town worthy of a book? Well, um, growing up, I, I had no idea there was anything unusual about it apart from the fact that it was relatively isolated. It's about 45 minutes to the next town to the West. 
about an hour and a half to the east and north and south, both dead end and reservoirs. So it's a, it's isolated during the winter. You can be cut off for a week or two at a time from the rest of the world due to, uh, avalanches. Actually, I shouldn't say two weeks. That's, that's an exaggeration. Maybe about a, we've, we've been up to a week, which is always mm-hmm. fascinating because it, everyone gets very cranky, but, uh, <laughs> I bet, <laughs> but I had no idea that it was, that there was something about Revelstoke that was particularly unusual un- until I started trying to collect these stories. And again, I started doing it as a, a family history project, but one person led to another, led to another, and, and pretty soon hauntings led to UFO sightings, led to missing time, led to gremlins, led to shadow people, led to time slips, all manner of, of strange things. And and the more these things piled up, the more people seemed to, to call me. And, and even now the book has been out since August 8th. And I've been contacted by a number of people who are very credible people who have, to, have more stories to tell me. And so it's, it was really just a, an idle curiosity at the time, because again, as I said, I was more or less an atheist growing up. Uh, you know, I didn't really believe in the Bible as taught to me, but presented with overwhelming evidence coming from people who were, you would not normally ex- expect these things from. These are not, I, I, you know crazy people. These are not people who are looking for attention. A a number of people ask me not to use their real names because they have positions that they don't want compromised, but it, it, it's a, it's a strange little place. And I had no idea just how strange. So like, what's the, uh, not counting tourists, obviously what's the population there? Population, uh, in the book, I described it as about 7,500. Uh, although a recent Google search told me I was wrong. It's about 72. You're uh, close. I was close. I was close. Mm. And uh, it the, the main the main industries are the railroad and forestry. Though that and tourism. Tourism is huge. I think without tourism, the other two wouldn't wouldn't be able to sustain. But uh, when I was growing up, the the main industries were forestry and and the railroad. And we have a, a very very popular ski hill, which would, is what brings a lot of people around. It's got the, I believe, the largest vertical drop in North America. Something about seventy five hundred feet of vertical. So it's, oh. uh, yeah, it brings people from all over the world and, uh, I, you couldn't get me on it with, with a, with a tow rope. I, I long ago, <laughs> <laughs> me I long either. Ago, no, I made an agreement with the mountain. I stay off you, you stay off me and it's, it's worked out well so far. Very good. So that kind of explains to me why you, one of you, your pet peeves then is not looking at things altogether, because what you're talking about is a town that seems to kind of be the center of high strangeness. Now, I'm assuming that you have some kind of theory as to why this place has so much activity. I really wish I did, because it would make these things a lot easier. I could say, oh, it's this thing. And, and right. uh, nod my head sagely, but no, I, I really have no idea. I, um, I think it could be, I, I've been told it's, uh, it's portals. I've been told it's, uh, the fault lines from the, the old faults from the mountains, you know, spirits run along them. And because we have a lot of mountain, we have a lot of faults. I've been told it's radon off gassing from the soil, making us all hallucinate. I, you know, I, I've been told any number of things, but I was most recently told, and I thought this was fascinating by a, a psychic. I was told that they, they can sort of view places and they get impressions. So they viewed Revelstoke and they said most places which are, uh, we'll say, we'll say thin places where other worlds meet, they, they see them as a screen door, but they see Revelstoke 
and they see a screen door with the holes far bigger than anything they've ever seen. So it's a screen door that the mosquitoes can get through. And how. <laughs> <laughs> You're not huh. kidding. I was, I was at a wedding there a couple weeks ago, and mosquitoes. Oh, outdoor reception. Lovely night, but mosquitoes. <laughs> so do Interesting. we, do we not know, like, is there any kind of... Um, I don't know, any horrible ex- events there that may have caused, you know, like, are there any crazy deaths and things that would cause so many hauntings? Or is it just, we don't know why all this happened? That's, I didn't phrase that very well, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. There there have been a number of tragic deaths. Uh, you know, I suppose any small town has them. Revelstoke has had uh, more than you might expect. Uh, I know the uh, the road east of town has been declared one of the most dangerous, I believe, in Canada. And prior to the uh, prior to the coming of the railroad, the, um, that particular stretch of of land was home to I want to say more than two hundred avalanche related deaths oh, prior wow. to nineteen eleven. So it's uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's a dangerous place. And then certainly there uh, north of town, beneath what is now the Columbia River, or sorry, the Illicilouette River, I believe. No, I'm sorry, for the Columbia River. Uh, is an area once called the Dal de Moor, the Rapids of Death, uh, or Death Rapids. And they were so named uh, because back in 1817, a group of trappers, I believe they were French, were overturned on those rapids. And their canoes, their uh, provisions were all lost. And on the slow march back to civilization, they eventually resorted to cannibalism. And only one of them made it back alive. And there was some suspicion at the time that he murdered the last man unnecessarily, but of course it was never proven. Then again, I believe in 1838, a ferry boat carrying, uh, I believe about 50 people overturned in the rapids. And the first indication anyone had that something went wrong was the busted hulk of the ship, uh, ending up down river. And I, I believe another 24 people were killed there. And then prior to the first world war, I believe the population of Revelstoke was again, about, about 6,000. And somewhere between 600 to 1,000 of the young men went off to fight in the First World War. And I believe over 100 of them didn't make it back. And so it, it, it really punched a hole in the town. So there is a, a, a history of tragedy there. And I, again, I don't know if that is incidental to these things happening, if it is because of what is special about Revelstoke, or if it is what has made Revelstoke that way. It's, it's really hard to say, but there have been a number of, I should say, tragic deaths. Uh, and, and certainly the highway west of town claims lives every year. It's just a fantastic, um, excuse me, a fantastic accident zone. Uh, the, the ski hills take at least a couple people a year. I, I remember one, one year shortly before I moved where two different groups of seven people were killed in avalanches up on the, not on the slopes, but, uh, they were, I believe they were sledding in the mountains and two different groups of, of six or seven people were killed. So it's, uh, it can be a dangerous little place in addition to a strange one. That, that's a lot of um, history of death and loss for a small town. I mean, that's a, that's a similar to this the small town that I grew up in. And I can't imagine if I'm calculating all the tragedies you mentioned and all the lives lost. I mean, that's that's a lot of a lot of energy. There. And that that's that's not counting the the individual tragedies. I mean, they're yeah. Uh, I, I won't get into the details because, you know, these are people I, I know, but there have been what we, we like to kind of call clusters of deaths 
where you'll you'll have one or two or three young people or youngish people pass through various means over over either through one year or over the course of years. And uh, we've you know disappearances. We've had uh, some very very tragic disappearances. Uh, I believe one young man was fleeing police uh, not I would say a couple of years ago, and he uh, his car he abandoned his car down south of town in what they call the Arrow Lakes, and there's not much down there. It, this was in the winter, and he fled into the bush and has never been seen again. And so this is uh, it, it it's a rugged place, and there again the, the the things I have described are really just the tip of the iceberg as far as, as tragedy goes. So it's, uh, it's definitely got a history of that. Absolutely. Hmm. So, uh, you say also, uh, there's some cryptid stuff and some UFO stuff that's also been noted in this area. Oh yes. I, I was, I shouldn't be surprised because I personally had a very, very strange, I suppose you could say UFO experience when I was in my early teens, it was uh, a New Year's Eve, and I was out shoveling my mother's driveway with a friend of mine. We were very, very boring teenagers. Uh, this, this is small evident. town. Small town. <laughs> yeah. 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 We, we didn't start drinking until we were eighteen, so there's nothing to do. And uh, so you know, we're out there shoveling about three in the morning, and it was that real sticky, heavy snow. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I I saw it come from, I believe, above Mount Revelstoke in front of me. My friend is certain. It came from behind, from Boulder Mountain behind me, but there was a green flash and then another. And in the instant after the second flash, it was like we were standing in a green fog, like we were under, under, under green water. It wasn't just like a light shining on us. It was though everything, the air around us turned green. And I remember looking at my hand through that that weird kind of haze and, and, and not understanding what at all was happening. And then it went away. My friend and I, we, we looked at each other, we left the shovels where they were and we went back inside and didn't really talk about it much. So I shouldn't be surprised at the, at the UFO sightings, but I certainly am surprised by the volume of them. And certainly by the fact that I discovered at least one case of missing time, which is really the only part of the book that unnerved me as I wrote it. Hmm. I, I found it, uh, for whatever reason, I felt as though I were being watched. And, and I, I don't necessarily... When you, were, when you were writing about the time slips, you felt like you were being watched? About, about the, the incidences of missing time, yes. Oh. Huh. So, um, missing time, what do you think that's related to? I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I, I struggle with the nuts and bolts UFO theory. I, I do believe that it is entirely possible uh, that there is extraterrestrial life. I mean, the universe is so vast, I think it's silly to to think it's not possible. However, I, I don't know that, that little green men have come here in, in tin ships to uh, to poke and prod at us. So it's it's hard for me to say that it is that, but I I, I wonder because it, it, it appears to be a physical phenomenon. It's not just a consciousness phenomenon. You know, it's not like... Uh, a dream or a fugue state where you simply come to somewhere else. I mean, it does appear to the people physically go and, and certainly you cover great distances in in relatively short amounts of time. So I have to wonder if it's some kind of, to use, to borrow a phrase from John Keel, an ultra terrestrial experience, because what I have read about these things, they seem very much like dreams to me in that you make these leaps of logic because you're trying to fit it into a framework. You say, well, I, I right. was in, in bed and then I, I floated through the air onto their ship. So they must have some kind of device that can float me through walls. And I think, well, well, no, I mean, that, that sounds like a, like a consciousness experience experience. It sounds like, uh, like astral travel, 
You know, I mean, if, if you go back yeah. to books like uh, Dionne Fortune's Psychic Self-Defense, yeah, I think she she was a, an occultist from the, the 30s and 40s, and she, she describes astral travel, and she describes that in astral combat, marks inflicted upon the astral body are reflected on the physical one. And so that would explain the scarring from people who have, have, have had missing time or abduction experiences, to me at least. That if your consciousness is, is being going somewhere and you are having something enacted upon your, your conscious imagination of what your body is like, then that would be repeated on your physical person. As I'm hearing you talk about this, it just reminds me of Mothman. Really? Oh, yep. Yeah, I, I, I was in actually West Virginia two years ago at the Mothman, uh, Mothman statue. And then, huh. but you talk about the green, you know, the green haze. And I was going to, you know, just throw a funny in there around here. When we see that, we just look for tornadoes <laughs> and, and run inside. <laughs> that, seems, that seems wise. Hmm. Further to that, there's a, I, I do recall when I was, a, I was a kid, I used to play softball and I remember there was a particular, a particular way about, about some days when I was a kid, when the air would get very still. And I recall being in the outfield on one of those days and, and the air got very still and everything seemed almost yellow, like a sickly yellow color. And I, I heard the father of one of the kids yell out back home when things look like this, we start looking for the funnel. And then we go the hell home. And I thought, nothing, of course, nothing like that ever happened. But I do remember days like that where you know, it felt like something was coming, but never did. Or at least nothing we could see. And, and you look back at it now and you're never sure, you know, <laughs> what it yeah, is. It. I've had a few of those experiences where you're like, am I embellishing that now? Or mm-hmm. what was that? Well, so, but you said that you really, as a kid, you didn't recognize that this was kind of a strange place. No, not at all. I, I remember feeling odd during those moments when the weather would do the things it would do or, you know, having a few odd experiences, but I, it never really clicked in my head that it was anything unusual. It was just things that happened, you know, they, they it never, the paranormal never occurred to me. Yeah. So, but so now that you've lived and been other places, so you have a basis of comparison, mm-hmm. um, can you see the difference? I mean, is it is it different than other places you've been and lived? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last year, I believe it was, I took a friend uh, to see Revelstoke who had never, she'd never been. And she, she's quite tuned into these things. And she said to me, there's, there's something here. There's something very old and very powerful about this place. But she was no clearer as to what. And certainly I, I feel that now. And again, I, I always feel a bit goofy when I say these things because I'm still in that accepting place, but there are nights where I feel like you, you shouldn't go out. You know, I, I like to go out at night, drive around, listen to music, take pictures, but there are some nights when I'm in Revelstoke where this little voice says, just stay in and watch television tonight. It's better that way. Hmm. I'd love to know, you were talking about psychics earlier and, and what psychics had told you about what was causing all of this. Are there psychics in the area and, and or different intuitives that have more experiences as well because of where they're at? I've only spoken to, I want to say two psychics, you know, people for, who, who claim that as a, 
say, a profession uh, since I started working on the book. And they've both been very guarded, I, I think, because they're feeling me out to see whether or not I'm going to sensationalize these things, which, of, of mm-hmm. course, I wouldn't. But no one has specifically told me something about Revelstoke. And no one has come out and said, well, this place is special because X, or is, it is not special because X. Uh, and I'm hoping that uh, as the book sort of reaches more people and as, as they have a chance to go through it and they see that I'm not, uh, I'm not interested in the business of, of making up stories or embellishing things to make them more interesting, I'm hoping they'll be a little more open with me. I, I know one of the psychics I spoke to um, who was actually, it was a, the, the session was a gift from my wife. I, I typically don't do the psychic thing. You know, I, I, I don't really have questions to ask my, my dead relatives. Miss them, of course, and would dip, deeply love to see them again, but there's nothing I need to ask them right now. Mm-hmm. But she got me this gift certificate and she said, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like you to go. And she, in a way, I don't know if you want to say verified, but gave context without my asking to this bizarre experience I had as a very young child. And that experience was in our local hospital, which is in the part of town known as Arrow Heights. I believe I was four. I believe my mother was in the hospital after having given birth to my sister. And we were visiting her on a Sunday. And my my family said I could stay a little bit later than everyone else as long as I came straight down in the elevator afterwards. They would wait for me in the lobby. And I remember this happening. I remember leaving and getting in the elevator and hitting the button. I was very proud. I knew the button. And the elevator went down. And the doors in front of me opened. But... It didn't look right. It was the lobby, or I, I recall it looking like the lobby, but it didn't look right. The light had this flat storage area in the late afternoon look to it, and everything was covered with like with dust. It just seemed it seemed like it had been set up for people and then walked away from. And I was really scared, and I, I didn't get off the elevator, and I, I didn't know what to do because the door just stayed open longer, I think, than an elevator door should. And I was just paralyzed. And then the door, the door, it closed, the door behind me opened. It was my grandfather. And he said, oh, there you are. Grabs me, picks me up and, and we, and we, we leave. And I told him what I'd, what I'd seen. My grandfather told me that half the hospital is never used because of budget concerns. And I, I kid you not, I was four, I'm 33 now. I believed that until last year. And then I asked my mother, I said, Hey, so about the, 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 the downstairs of the, of the hospital, when the back door is open, what does that look like? And she told me that's the, the corridor to the operating room. It's very bright and well lit. And, and I said, well, will that have changed since I was a kid? And she said, no, that's always been the, the corridor to the operating room. Certainly it would never have looked like what you described. And I asked her about half the hospital thing. And she said, no, that's ludicrous. That it doesn't work like that. She said the third floor is unused, but the elevator doesn't go there. And so I, I, I filed it away and huh. I, yeah. So when I went to see the psychic, <laughs> I wrote that down. I, I wrote down, uh, what, what about that day in the hospital? That's all I wrote. And she, she asked if I had any questions. So I put that down and after the reading, she, or, you know, during the, the actual talking part of the reading, she said, your grandfather is here. And he says, do you remember when you were a little boy and you used to drift between dimensions? Oh, yeah, that, that was my thought. And so it's one of those things I'm still trying to make sense of. And Hmm. and it it just makes me wonder if that's, again, is it a skewed memory? Am I remembering it wrong? Or are the, the anomalies in Revelstoke sometimes so substantial that you can just drift through them? 
It's like well, it's, so do you have any other experiences where you feel like that might apply the drifting between dimensions? Nothing so dramatic as that. No, there was one thing that which happened to me in uh, in uh, Ireland some years ago. But to a certain degree, I've managed to figure that out. Uh, I will say it was it was a strange night or a strange afternoon uh, as sun was setting in the beach town of Bancrana, and it was very quiet on the beach. And there was a large black dog which kept following me and barking if I got too close. But I, I don't know that I could say that was otherworldly, or if I was just on the beach in a beach town in the in winter, which would make it quiet. Um, most of my unusual activity, things that have happened to me are strange dreams. I tend to have a lot of odd dreams and in some cases, uh, precognitive dreams or predictive dreams. And that's been difficult to mm. accept, but it's certainly happened. Mm -hmm. And the precog dreams are frustrating because most of the time there's not a darn thing you can do about it. Uh, you know, if you see something that is coming up that doesn't look really great. You're just kind of stuck with knowing it's going to happen, huh? And, and that's exactly it. And, and usually I don't recognize it at the time. It might take me a few minutes to, for it to click into place. I, I think a great example of this was last October when I was in Los Angeles. I was, I'd gone down for, uh, just for a vacation and my wife was going to join me in a little bit when she was able to get off work. So I, I rented a car and I was driving around taking night pictures and I decided to go to industry. And I don't know if you're familiar with, with that part of Los Angeles and it's in, uh, an industrial suburb in East LA. But, um, apparently this is not a very good place to be at night and I didn't realize that at the time. So <laughs> I, I got there and I was, I was driving around taking pictures and I felt very nervous. This would have been, I want to say on a Wednesday or a Friday night at about one in the morning. So I'm, I'm driving around taking pictures of empty rail yards, empty warehouses. And I thought, you know what? I, I should go. This just, I feel really jangled. It's probably because I'm in a big city. I, I just got here, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a small town guy. I'm not, you know, I'm not built for this kind of stuff. So I hopped in the car and went to go get back on the, uh, the freeway. But there was, as I was parked, um, I, I noticed there was a police car blocking the on-ramp. And I thought, well, that, that's odd. And so I, I thought it was a sobriety checkpoint because I'm a bit of a yokel. And so I crept up to it and the officer got out and said, what are you doing? What are you doing? I put my hands up. I said, Hey, I said, I'm sorry. I'm not from here. I, I don't know what's going on. Um, and he said, well, don't, don't they have road flares where you're from? And I realized I was so transfixed by his lights that I had missed completely the line of road flares blocking off the on-ramp. Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> so I, I said, I'm really sorry. I, I made a mistake. I was just, you know, caught up on your lights and he said, that's fine. But he said, you got to go now. He said, we have a shooter up on that freeway and you can't be here. So I, I booked it back home to the, uh, the, the room I was renting. And, uh, you know, later on the, later that night on KTLA, I saw they had chased the shooter all throughout industry and I had just been lucky enough to miss it. But where the dream comes in is it clicked in my head as I was driving away about five years ago, I had a dream in which I was walking in Los Angeles and this, I didn't have a driver's license at this point when I had the dream, I got a driver's license late. And in the dream, I, I there are two police officers at an underpass and I walk up to them and they say, no, you can't go any further because there's a gang war going on up ahead. You got to get out of here now. Mm. And it clicked into my head as, as I was driving away that this is, Aside from day for night and the slight change in the positioning of the overpass, 
that was the dream I'd had. That's pretty close, all right. Huh, so just really quickly, so those dreams that you that are precognitive dreams, they don't have any different type of quality to them so that you don't wake up and think, huh, there's some significance to this then. If there is, I haven't identified it. Certainly, I remember them, which seems to be, uh, you know, uh, unusual because typically I don't remember my dreams. But uh, no, mm-hmm. I, I can't think of a, of a quality that makes them stand out. Okay, fair enough. Well, Brandon, I can tell you that these stories have been incredibly uh, fascinating. And so the book just must be really cool. Um, I know I I'm going to read that, it. I know. I can tell you that maybe American Horror Story needs to check out, you know, uh, Revelstoke <laughs> for one of their future seasons. But I'd like to ask you a, a really nerdy question that I sometimes throw in at the end of my own show. Sure. And that is outside of the paranormal or, you know, anything we've talked about tonight, what kind of nerd are you? You know, what are your, what are your other passions and interests? I am a movie nerd and a mystery book nerd. I am very hung up on, I love movies. I have since I was a kid and I'm very hung up on my friends tease me about this on, on, uh, on visuals. So if I, you know, I'm very much a Blu-ray fan. I like to, to, I I get very upset if something has a poor transfer, you know, I I notice, uh, (laughs) I, I can't watch downloaded movies anymore because the compression artifacts drive me crazy. So th- that's stuff like that. And, and mystery books, I'm a, I'm a big mystery nerd. Lawrence Block, uh, recently I've been reading uh, James Salas a lot. Uh, his book, The Killer is Dying, is just magnificent. I wish I could write like that. So, uh, that, that, yeah, I would say movie nerd and, and mystery book nerd. I, li- I like to lift weights too, but I'm not as much of a nerd. I just do that to control the, the depression anxiety. <laughs> I understand. Well, you know, lifting weights and nerd just doesn't go together. You just can't have that. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. If you think about those no? ads, the back of comic books, I was a 99-pound weakling. I'll be old that. And then they do the, they would follow the Mr. Universe program or whatever it was, you know, so you don't get sand kicked in your face anymore. <laughs> you remember those, right? I have I no do. clue what you're talking about on this end. Oh, in the back of comic books, it used to be, I was a nine, and maybe in the back of magazines too, it would be, don't get sand kicked in your face. It'd be some wimpy guy with some big muscle bound guy kicking sand in his face. <laughs> and it would say, I was a 99 pound weakling. Don't get sand kicked in your face anymore. I think it was Charles Atlas. I think they were. Charles Atlas. That was it. You yeah. got it. That's right. All right, so we have come to the part of the show that we like to call Shameless Self-Promotion Corner. So um, remind our re- our readers, oh, now I'm being a book remind <laughs> our listeners the title of the book, where they can uh, get in contact with you if they'd like, where they can find more about you, about your books, about Revelstoke, anything really you'd like to promote, we're, we're good with it. Sure, well, um, I my book is called A Strange Little Place, the... Hauntings and Unexplained Events of One Small Town. I always forget the subtitle. It is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble for those of you in the U.S. For those of you in Canada, it's available on Chapters, Amazon. And uh, for those of you, if there are anyone overseas, it'll be available in the U.K. on September 1st in Waterstones and, of course, uh, on Amazon. You can find me on the web at uh, www.largelythetruth.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram at at largelythetruth. Uh, I do have a, a Facebook page for Largely the Truth, so I will be transitioning over to a uh, a group eventually. It's just I've been snowed under with work since I got back from my my long, long road trip through the states. So that's a it's a back burner project. I'm also having signings in Vernon, BC, on Friday, 
August 26th uh, from at Bookland from 12 to 2. And I'll be having a signing in Revelstoke on Saturday, August 27th at Grizzly Books from 11 to 1. And then a little bit later on September 30th, I'll be having a signing here in Victoria at Chapters on Douglas Street from 2 to 4 p.m. And I I think that's about as shameless as I get. I, I'm sure that's I could That's pretty good, yeah. Uh, no, you did pretty well. So I, I have one more question before we cut you loose, just as you sure. were talking about. What has the reception been in Revelstoke for your book? I haven't really seen it yet. Uh, just, it just came out August 8th. But from what mm-hmm. I understand, um, it's everyone's, uh, I, I was actually told today, everyone's talking about it. The bookstore has gone through their, their second order and uh, people are curious. So, so they seem to be, they seem to be into it, which is very cool. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you for coming on. It's I, you have fascinating stories, and I, I hope the book is available as a Kindle. Yeah. Yep, Kindle, Kobo, Nook, all those uh, many formats. Buy several copies for your friends and family. I just finished the <laughs> book I was reading last night, so I think I may I may download it tonight. Fantastic the timing. I know. Well, thank you for coming on the show. It's like I say, your stories are just absolutely fascinating. And now I must know more. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Have a good evening. You too. Good night. All right. Brennan store everyone and, um, pick up that book. It sounds really interesting. I know Patrick, we were having a little bit of audio issues with you where, uh, unbeknownst to our listeners, you kept dropping on and off and you missed that whole big story at the beginning. Well, you got parts of it. Yeah. Every time I came back in, I was hearing another dramatic part of the story and I was trying to piece them together. I was saying it was kind of like paranormal Mad Libs. I was missing quite a bit. You're going to have to listen to the podcast. That's all. That's all there is to it because it really is. Uh, you know, I've never heard of anybody who's had an accidental exorcism before. So to me, fascinating stuff. Yeah. So, all right, Cheryl, got your mic on. All right. Yeah, I'm here. All righty. So, um, uh, Patrick's done well, you think, this evening, especially given the fact that he was coming in and out for the first probably, what, 45 minutes of the show or something? No, the first, like, the first, yeah, probably the first hour, huh? I think I counted six times I was oh, in and out. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, you did a great job. I don't even think anybody noticed till Karen just told him you were in and out. But... I know. Now Thanks, Cheryl's Karen. Gonna be, Gosh. Cheryl's going to be mad at me for telling people. No, but I just, it was so funny because it was like, I, I knew that you probably, every time you were coming on, were like, wait, I missed something. What? It was like the telephone game, really. I was like, okay, what? Okay, what did I miss? What? What? Was, Wait, you eat juniper? What? He blew on your head? What? Exactly. That was it. That, <laughs> hey, it's the joys of technology. What are you going to do? Right. I know. You know, it is what it is, right? That's what you have, you know, like six co-hosts so that when two or three <laughs> of them drop out, you always got a few left. There you go. <laughs> I know. So, Cheryl, what do we have coming up on the big show? Well, next week, it, it, which the, let's see, the date will be August 25th. We will be talking to Jamie Davis Whitmer. And Jamie is the author of the book called America's Most Haunted Hotels, Checking In with Uninvited Guests. Cool. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah. I know, Chuck, I know Chuck's looking forward to that one because yep. he likes the haunted hotels. Haunted and hotels. Um, yeah, I like the haunted hotels, too. I like to stay in them as long as they don't bother me while I'm sleeping. That's my rule. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Most of them do not respect that boundary even a little. Oh. <laughs> I'm getting ready to check into the Crescent, I think. Um, the Crescent? The Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Yeah. Ah, yes. Is, I've heard of that. Yeah, I've been on you know several shows, and it's beautiful. And I've driven by it. I've just never been in. Oh, well, that's exciting. I'm a big... Yeah, I I like staying in haunted hotels. I think that it's it's really fun. So a really a really real quick a really beautiful haunted hotel. If you're gonna stay in one, it's more like an inn to me. But anyway, it's the Queen Anne Hotel in San Francisco, and mm. it's mm. absolutely lovely inside. And like I said, it's more of an inn feel than a hotel feel, but it is just amazing inside. And, you know, we did actually experience what we think was some paranormal activity. So it, was, it worked out. <laughs> yeah, we have several that are, um, you know, reportedly haunted in, in Western Washington and Oregon. Um, like the one that Rob St. Helen worked at and actually wrote about in the magazine for quite some time, which yeah. was um, uh, the Heathman Hotel, right. uh, Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, um, the Wheeler, Old Wheeler Hotel, which is more of an inn down in, in Wheeler, Oregon, uh, the Sorrento Hotel in downtown Seattle. So, yeah, lots of lots of them around here. And, of course, anything owned by McMenamins here in the Pacific Northwest as well. I wrote an article, remember, about all the haunted McMenamins hotels? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Um, let's see. Brennan just wrote in the Skype chat room, the Jerome Grand Hotel in Jerome, Arizona is very pretty and very haunted. So check out the Jerome mm-hmm. Grand Hotel. I'm going to yeah. search it up right now. And Patrick, You're going to stay at the Lemp Mansion the by Lemp yourself this fall, Mansion? Patrick? I am, I am planning on well, not the whole mansion, but you know, usually <laughs> they only usually they only have two or three rooms that you know they let people stay in, and I am wow. planning on going and staying in the most haunted room that I can find and covering it and podcasting it. It's an idea. I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm love thinking it. about it. That's exciting. Love it. I love it. Please do All a right. correspondence. A correspondent uh, section for us. On oh, show, I please. would be glad please, please. to. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And Brandon also says the guys are Grand Hotel in Baker City, Oregon. You know, oh, Brandon, you don't okay. have to. If you can, you don't have to type these in. You can just talk to us. We're good. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. I, you know, I didn't want to butt in. I, I, <laughs> no, uh, butt in. It's okay. It's You're okay. good. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I I rolled up to the guys are Grand once while I was passing through Baker City for the night, and little voice said, uh, "We're not going to sleep a wink. Don't do it." So I, I ended up staying on the outskirts of town, and sure, sure enough, did a little research afterwards, and it's haunted. Yeah, it's got well, a very interesting look to it. Oh, it's, do you, it's, did you look it up? Yeah, it's uh, interesting architecture. Hmm. Almost looks like a giant boat on land. Oh, <laughs> it's, it cool. seems very out of place in Baker wow. City. Yeah, isn't the Queen Mary a hotel too? Yeah, yeah, they've got yeah. a hotel on there. It's it's um, we stayed there. We we thought we might have had some paranormal activity, but we weren't sure. Because the TV, we thought mm. we had turned the TV off when we left the room for a while, and we came back, it was on. But again, that's one thing you just can't you can't remember. You know, <laughs> you think you turned it off, but unless sure. you're sitting there and the TV turns itself on, but that then, happens at the haunted Fraser House. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, Lizzie that's Borden always disconcerting. What's that? The Lizzie Borden House too has some fascinating stuff going on. Well, didn't Chad? No, Chad didn't do the Lizzie Borden house, no, Cheryl. No, he did the he did the uh, Aliska house. Yeah, that's right. Is the Lizzie Borden house a bed and breakfast? 
It is, yeah, in uh, Fall River. Mm. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, well, I like staying in haunted hotels. Like I say, as long as they let me sleep, which they never do. So. I usually sleep like a baby, so that's why I'm not <laughs> ever too worried. Like at the Stanley, nice. slept like a baby. You know, at Myrtle's, you know, slept like a baby. So I don't know what to expect. Huh. Well, I do at the old Wheeler Hotel. Uh, that's the only haunted hotel I sleep well at. So who knows what that's all about. Um, so Cheryl, also, I did notice that I got an email you prompting me to turn in my dreams column, which means we must have a magazine just around the corner. We have one just around the corner. Uh, yes, thank you for turning in your dreams column. Um, actually, that was <laughs> very timely. We are working on the August issue. Hopefully it's coming out just around the corner. We'll be featuring the happy medium, who is Kim Russo. And you might know her from the TV show called The Haunting Of, where she goes around with celebrities and psychically tunes into their past paranormal experiences to try and explain them. It's a really good show, by the way, if you haven't checked it out. I love that show. It's called, what's it called again? It's called The Haunting Of, and it would be like, you know, The Haunting of Karen Frazier or The Haunting of, you know, Patrick Keller. It's it's with I a celebrity. I wonder if it's available. I wonder if it's available on demand because I just caught up on all of the um, Hollywood medium shows. So I'm looking for yeah. something new. Uh, try, Did you just I, say I The think... Haunting of Patrick Keller? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, sounds good. Has a ring to it. Check Lifetime. It's on the the LMN. Um, so I don't know okay. if they have on demand, but uh, they may. I'm not sure. And um, so there's a Q&A there in the, in the upcoming issue that I think you'll really like. And then we have Nicole Strickland. You just mentioned the Queen Mary. She's our Queen Mary expert, you know. Um, she's also with San Diego Paranormal Research Society. She wrote an article on investigating private residences and protocols to remember and I think it's really a, a really good tool maybe for teams to check out and just remember to keep some of these things in mind who maybe newer teams that haven't been doing it for very long because there's some important stuff in here. And um, so we have obviously other columns, our haunted, uh, haunted history column, haunted site column. We have our Are We Alone, you know, our ET column. Of course, Karen mentioned dreams, which we have in every issue now. And then we also have uh, metaphysics. You don't have to sound so disgusted by it. She mentioned dreams. I love and it. Now it's in oh, every damn not, issue. Oh, my gosh. That's not. Oh, wow. My tone must have been completely off. I love the dream call. That's like my one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it. and I had a question from somebody named. Let me see if I can remember her name. Okay. Um, uh, Cheryl, I think her oh, name was. Me. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a dream. Yeah, do you, should we share what the what it was about, or just I mean in vague terms? Just vaguely, yeah. You can mention what it was about. It... Pain. It was about feeling what you think is physical pain in a dream. That's mm -hmm. what it was about. And and what so that did means. my what I told you. Did it make sense to you in the context of the dream? Um, I have not been able to make it make sense yet, um, mainly because I haven't put a lot of thought into it yet. I don't think that the that this the studies the study part that you mentioned about you know your arm being you know the you know in a in a strange yeah. position that wasn't it I didn't rub against it you know it wasn't that but I think maybe I need to look deeper as you indicated in another part of your actual um, interpretation how it may apply to um, a psychological issue possibly so I haven't examined okay. that aspect yet it very well could be true but I don't remember ever feeling pain in a dream before like you know 
Like it's, it, was real. it only occurs in about 30% of dreams. Okay. Cause I don't remember it like, like that before ever. And it was like 31% is the exact number from studies well, that's pretty of high. feeling pain. That's pretty high yeah, actually. of experiencing pain in dreams. Mm. And my pain was cutting a cutting pain. Like somebody just took a, a you know, a, a knife and cut my arm. And oh, like God. I felt it in the dream and I woke up from it. Are you sure it wasn't Chad my... poking you while you slept? <laughs> no. no, it was not poking pain. It was a cutting pain. And I woke up and I looked at my arm thinking that I had a cut on my arm, but no. I, just, I don't know. It was very painful in the dream, though. So That yeah, makes me glad that I don't remember a lot of my dreams, because, wow. I remember almost mm. every night I remember a dream, and it's like sometimes, like, Patrick, like you just said, I wish I, I didn't remember them. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> uh, strange stuff, um, but Karen, I, go I love in, your I go in, like, spurts. Thank oh, you. thank you. I, I go in it. spurts with dreams. I, mm-hmm. uh, I'll go where I won't feel like I've really had a dream, um, for like a week or two. And then all of a sudden I'll have like 10 mm. nights in a row. I'll have these okay. really vivid, intense dreams. So usually it's kind of related almost to the cycles of the moon. So like right now, because it's a full moon, I've been having the really intense dreams again. Ah, you know, interesting. Karen, two weeks ago, I think I may have even told you this. I had a dream that seemed to last all night long where I was being held up by a gun like yeah. all night long. And yeah. my own was it right interp- before school started? Yes, yeah, my own interpretation mm-hmm. is that just means school was starting. Yeah, exactly. If you exactly. had any input. <laughs> Yo, to you know, that's the that. first question I went to, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that was basically pretty much a, a heading back to work stress dream. <laughs> yeah, and you wake up and you just go, uh huh. That's right. So along those lines, folks, uh, we want your dreams. We want them badly because we want to interpret them in our column. You can send them in anonymously. Email your dreams to editor at paranormalunderground.net. Cheryl anonymizes them and sends them to me. I interpret it, and then um, she actually will send the interpretation to you, I think, even before it comes out in the magazine, right? That's correct. I will do that. Yeah, and I always appreciate the opportunity to do it. And I get um, a lot of feedback from people. Usually, well, Cheryl gets the feedback from people, but we get a lot of feedback from people that say, man, that is right on. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, it's not me. It's just the symbols. It's the, you know, the symbolism. So it's pretty pretty amazing that how, how closely the symbolism aligns to the dreams. So anything else about the magazine before we, uh, you know, Pick Listen, ourselves out for the night. Yeah, listener or listeners, readers can go to paranormalunderground.net to um, get a digital copy, or you can go to magcloud.com and search Paranormal Underground Magazine to get a print-on-demand copy. And uh, okay. email me with any you know ideas you want to see in the magazine, what you love, what you want to see more of. You can email me at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And All right. um, yeah, and also we've got some really cool um, shows coming up in uh, September. So stay tuned. You can go to our site uh, also and go. And to our we're making changes. We're page. starting to do exciting stuff with the show, so that's pretty cool too. Um, yeah, definitely. So, big seance, uh, Patrick. You wanna you wanna shamelessly promote real quick? Oh, sure. Thank you. Um, And by the way, thank you again. I I always appreciate the invitation to come on Paranormal Underground. I I promise I'll try to exercise my Skype ghost 
before <laughs> I come back another time. But yeah, you can you need, find. You need Brandon's shaman. <laughs> I know for real, but I probably missed that part of the story, so I wouldn't you know. You probably that. did. <laughs> um, but you can find my podcast, the Big Seance Podcast, at bigseance.com and any other place that you find podcasts. All right. Very good. And you have the Big Seance um, group that people can join on Facebook, yeah? Yes, the Big Seance Parlor. We get pretty pretty nerdy in there. And <laughs> yeah. you, you, you are both in the Big Seance Parlor. Yes. And um, the other thing is that people can also uh, follow my author, Karen Frazier, Facebook page. This week we've been discussing um, crystals. And so I try to have conversations about metaphysical things where people can ask questions if they want. And if nobody asks me questions, I just kind of add little tidbits of this and that. So you can find me on Facebook, author Karen Frazier. And uh, I would welcome you because I also give stuff away on my facebook page just so you know no mm. oh, i know there you have it all right so that's it we're right up against it i want to thank you patrick um thank you brennan i am it's been a great show it's been a lot of fun mm -hmm. we missed chucky e. g but by golly we did it we did it without him so thank you, everybody, for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark here on MixLR. We'll be back next week, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 p.m. Eastern, and other times in the flyover states. Y'all have a good week. Good night. Bye, guys. If you'd like to be a guest on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark, email us at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And until next week, remember this. If something looks out of place or doesn't feel quite right, it could just be something paranormal.